You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today we are going to talk about leadership, but we're going to come at it from a little bit different angle. I have a guest who has been in professional baseball most of his life, and he's now doing some great things with leadership development. His name is Trent Clark. Trent, welcome to the show. Well, great to be here, Doug. Thank you for having me. Super excited to join you. Yeah, so I I have a little, I, I guess I call it a mini tradition on the show. I ask my guests to give a little backstory, and yours, of course, as I alluded to, has a lot to do with baseball, but uh, tell the folks your backstory and your journey to, to where you are right now. Yeah, my backstory was one love of sport as a kid, joined in Division One, two-sport athlete, went uh, right from college and started coaching for the Detroit Tigers with Sparky Anderson, and I spent some time with Coach Saban at Michigan State, uh, and then I uh, went back to professional baseball with the Tribe in Cleveland, now the Guardians, and uh, went to a couple World Series with them, and then uh, headed out west for the uh, Los Angeles Angels, where we did a big turnaround there with the Disney Corporation, won that championship in 02, went to another uh, league championship in 05, and a lot of fun, a lot of great people along the way that I learned from. And and meanwhile, I was I, I started uh, now 12 companies. So I think, you know, from an entrepreneur standpoint, always just been involved with leadership in business and, and sports. So it's great. Out of those 12 companies, were were they all sports related or what else? What what was the gamut you ran? There? No, you know, really, really, they were not. You know, I started in fitness. Uh, first company was private training. I had a strength and conditioning background as a coach in sports. My next one was tr- uh, we designed uh, gyms for athletes homes, showed them how they could write that off as part of their job as a professional athlete. And then I took a real hit, you know, um, some things downturned in that business. And I really learned a lot of things the hard way. And so I went back to a franchise and I bought, uh, I was like the 10th or 12th uh, franchisee of 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And then I got involved with shipping on the Great Lakes and shipping oil. And then I got involved in brokering oil. Then I got involved in cybersecurity and federal government and selling software to the federal government. And then I went back to my roots, which is really leadership coaching and uh, and developing teams. And that's where we really developed and, and cut our teeth there for the last six, seven years. And um, and now I own an NIL company where, where I get to do my two favorite things, like for college athletes and the name image likeness now, that's about 15 months old now, is um, I get to I get to combine athletes and entrepreneurship, which is exactly what I love. So it's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, we could probably spend a whole episode talking about the NIL landscape now and what that's done to college sports and for sure the pros and cons, like it or hate it, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. But um, uh, I think we'll save that for another one. But uh, All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so let's uh, let's dive right in and talk about the leadership aspect of this. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is inevitably when we think about leadership, there are a lot of sports analogies that fit. When you want to try to train or coach someone to 
grasp and comprehend a, a leadership principle, inevitably things about teamwork and position alignment and strategy and playbook and game book and game plan, all those kind of things emerge in the discussion. The interesting thing is I, I learned the hard way many years ago in my own coaching, not everybody's a sports fan and you got to be yeah. careful with those analogies when yeah. you, when you dance them out there. So talk to us a little bit about your approach and your, your thought on shaping up those messages. Yeah, I think to your point, uh, it is really easy for me to make a lot of sports references. I love it. I absolutely have a passion for it. And it, and it makes some sense. A lot of people really have a favorite team. And and there's always these days. I mean, every weekend we can see an example of good and sometimes bad leadership in sports, right? It's it's right out there laid out for us. But, you know, I love the idea of leadership around music and the orchestra and how that works as a unit and people doing their responsibilities and their roles and having a, a conductor that's really directing things. And from my side of leadership, uh, you know, we, we get we get hired because in training and development, most leaders of organizations didn't go to school for leadership and they didn't go to school for coaching or teaching. And for me, now everybody needs leadership, leadership modeling, having a plan on that. And they need some teaching and coaching. And, you know, we got a lot of people who are really smart, really well-educated, but they just don't have a lot of experience in those categories. And, and our organizations are just thirsty for those two things and if we do that poorly at the top, uh, it, it tends to go pretty poorly across the board, right? So I, I like that stat that says, hey, we, you know, 82% of people don't leave the organization. They leave their boss. So if yeah. you have a boss who has that poor leadership skills and very poor communication, teaching, coaching, helping me get along and be a better contributor – uh, hey, I think I can maximize my potential somewhere else without, you know, beating my head against the wall and without all these frustrations and without all uh, a lot of surly employees that aren't very happy working with this person. And they're going to take their talents elsewhere. And 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 those numbers prove that out. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that. When I launched 2022, I I had a challenge campaign at the early part of the year. I, I challenged 10,000 managers slash executives to align and raise their hand and say, I agree, I want to be a better boss for that very stat that you mentioned. You know, people don't quit companies, they quit bosses. And let's pledge to do more, to be more effective leaders in our businesses. And um, we kind of blew through the 10,000 mark pretty fast. So wow. <laughs> um, Great. It, it was just a matter of people, you know, basically pinging my website saying, yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and, you know, participate in any of the information sharing we have. Um, but it, um, it, it was reassuring to know that people are paying attention to that and wanting to do those kinds of things. So um, it, um, well, let me ask you this, yourself, when you think back, when did you first get hit with the idea of leadership is a thing? 
Well, I think it really started uh, for me, you know, as a family, right? Like as you looked at your friends and how their how their fathers and mothers and those people in their lives were leading the family. I think that started as a pretty young age. I had a pretty good leader as a father and and he was a coach too. So that really served. And I saw him in a lot of different environments. And why did these banks want my father on their board? And so all these, uh, so that was probably my first impression. And then of course, youth sports immediately, uh, you know, I was drawn to people that encouraged me and helped me get better. And I was a, a driven kid, right? And so um, the people that really leaned into that and and saw that I had this desire to improve and it would embrace that and help that really had a lot of impact to me and, and and probably the same impact of seeing someone with a desire to improve and drive and those who refused to help and that was probably almost equally impactful to me and 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 hurtful like wow I'm out here doing these things and and they don't seem to want to give any kind of advice and guidance and why why and back to our story of, of of our bosses why would i come back and play for this coach like i don't know if i'm interested right no matter what the organization's doing and how cool their uniforms are or they got the best home field and all you know that's awesome but you got to decide it's a, it's a people and it's a relationship business all of it yeah yeah you know, in, in your backstory, you mentioned Nick Saban, and then I can't help but kind of spotlight him and what he's been able to do throughout his career, you know, six national championships at the college level. And uh, was Nick Nick back in the days when you worked for him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nick is Nick, man. Like, I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, like, I hear a lot of people – give Coach Saban a lot of challenge. And I do not think it's not without merit sometimes, but I think I have I have a great respect, Doug, for people that draw a line in the sand and say, this is how I think it is to do best. And I'm willing to outwork anyone else to, to get that done right. And, and, I, and I have a standard that's going to be met. I, I don't need to agree with it. I don't need to love it, but I, I respect and I honor it, right? And when I work for Coach Saban, he is a tough guy to work for. His, you know, this is not the, hey, coach, let's go get a beer after practice and hang out. Like it's not. He has got a very tight system that's very effective for him. And he's committed to that system and committed to his family. And he knows that he can do those things. So he's the guy who eats the same thing at lunch every day, wears the same clothes every day because it's efficiency, right? But yet he's also the same guy that when I left Michigan State and um, that was a very difficult decision, uh, I can recall having a meeting with Coach Saban at five till five on a Friday. Coach Saban meetings are very short as it is. <laughs> They're very pointed. He's got a lot to do. And so you have very diligent lists. And I have five minute meetings with Coach Saban that I often prepared two hours for. Um, and so thinking this is Friday, I'm out the door. Um, I brought my notebook in to keep, to see Coach Saban. And I told him, you know, he, he probably already knew, you know, I, he'd known I'd go on a Cleveland interview. And I told him, you know, hey, unfortunately, I want, I, I'm leaving. And it's not, you know, I don't know if it's the best choice, but it, I think it's the best opportunity for me. And these are my decisions. This is why, I mean, that I practiced with my wife for, you know, an hour and a half the night before. 
And <clears throat> what I didn't know about Coach Eagles, first of all, he stopped me when I talked, and then he came around the desk to talk to me and sit with me uh, side by side. And then uh, he was an old Rolodex guy. And and so this is the 90s, right? And so uh, when I got done with my little four-minute speech of thank you for everything, you know, he leans forward and I and he says, hey, grab your notebook. And and he grabs a stack of cards. Uh, and he says, you know, I used to coach for the Browns, of course. And Trent, if you're going to be a good coach, you're going to be in demand. And, and this is part of the life. And it's not easy on your family, but I'd like to help make it a little easier. And so grab your notebook and you're going to want to call this person. This is the realtor in town that I've used and she's really great. And this, and this is going to have this restaurant tour and she owns some of the best restaurants and this, and I mean, till five 30 on a Friday and I I'm on the way out, right? I, this is not me on the way in. So that kind of leadership, I think is a pretty big deal for someone to pass that along. And that was very influential in my career as a very young coach. Yeah. Wow. That's a great story. And yeah, I I agree with you. I think he gets a lot of grief for a lot of things, but in in many ways it is because he is so incredibly focused and committed. And some people just don't suffer that. They don't get it. They don't yep. they they think it's it's mean and cruel. Um in in my early banking days, I worked for a CEO that was probably the equivalent of a Nick Saban from a banking standpoint. Okay. Guy was driven. He had a system. I mean, he, we had a joke. We, it was Vogue for the bankers at the time. We were still in suits and ties and we had these little lapel pins that was the bank logo and that you just, you know, didn't want to be anywhere without your lapel pin. And the joke was, if you got on the elevator and you ran into Ben, our CEO, and you didn't have your lapel pin, you were going to go to the penalty box, you know? Yeah. And um, one guy finally famously said, Ben said, where's your lapel pin? He looked down, he goes, I left it on my pajamas. <laughs> and there, there was a brief chuckle, but probably in Saban form, it was still off to the penalty box. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. That is funny. I, I appreciate that, but you're still getting the ramifications. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and at, in our organization, there were people that thrived under that, uh, I'll use air quotes and say dictatorship, because uh, there wasn't a lot of participative input to him. Yeah. But, uh, man, we, we ran off a string of high performance and, you know, 64 consecutive quarters of earnings growth and all that. I mean, it was yep. like you know, winning the Super Bowl year after year after year. I mean, let me um, ask you, Doug, let me just ask you that question because, you know, I, I love it when commentators get upset that coach Saban just threw his headset in the end of the third quarter in a 37 to three game. When we know on our staff, uh, when we're in that mix, like kids are going to get injured. There's a process and we've taught the process and it's very frustrating when we've spent hours and hours and hours with the first teamers, hours and hours with the second teamers. And now the third teamers are these kids that could be actually in action two weeks from now against Auburn and be, be forced into that by injury or whatever else. And it's like, they've ignored process for the last three months and everyone's going, you've got to be kidding me. You know, the, the person who's, who's in charge of selling mortgages at the bank is, isn't just a, you know, vice president of mortgage. It's all the team members who have to contribute to that team and those numbers that you that you talked about. And 
my experience has been, man, it's tough to be on a team like that with, with a coach Ben, right? But man, everybody loves to be on a winner and everyone's got their shoulders a little further back. And they say, you know, hey, I don't know if you know or not, we got 64 quarters here of, you know, victory, you know, and, yeah. and we got a system, we work hard for it. And what I like to say about the rings, right? It's earned, never given. Yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. People want to be a part of a winner. Yeah. No, it was, it was hard, grueling work. But, you know, talk about, you know, Saban's famous for having his system. Well, we had his system. It, yeah. it started with our annual budget and planning process that was a religion there. I mean, it, it, you didn't just slop through budget and planning. I mean, yeah. it, every department, every cost center had accountability. We did basically a, a bottom-up budgeting every year. You didn't just roll your numbers, you know, 5% or yeah. something like that. You, you had to go present your case for needing your budget to be what it was. And, um, and then once the game started, you know, January 1st, when we started keeping score, there was monthly accountability on how those numbers were building. And, you know, we all, there was a report card that came out from headquarters that, that showed cost center by cost center, what you were doing. So, you know, to use to use the baseball analogy, if the left fielder was dropping balls, you know, uh, it showed up in that report every month. Heck yeah, and yeah. you know, I love it. I mean, I you know, I think that <clears throat> organizations can benefit from having systems, and um, I, I'd see far too much ten thousand foot level forecasting. Like, hey, <laughs> like, it's like, wait a minute, like. It's good. Well, if you know, if the moon and stars aligned and all the winds come in from the West, this number is going to come right in behind it. Like, well, how about any economic downturn? How about any challenges with that? Do we have the assets today? To have? No, but that'll be easy to hire. Oh, as everyone in the market today is seen, let's just go out and get highly talented people. That's nearly impossible. And so we're banking these things on things that aren't very realistic. And so this accountability, I, I have to say, Doug, is like it's a it's a word that we stress. It's a big itty, right? Um, that accountability. And you know, I see organizations like it's a four-letter word today. They don't want to talk about it, they don't want to use it. And um, watch out. I mean, when things get hard, uh, accountability is a big deal. And we've got to have uh, if we ultimately want to get to productivity, which is probably the idiot that all the organizations are going after, um, it rarely happens without accountability, right? Yeah, yeah. I like that. And um, you know what, Trent? Uh, I'm looking at the clock here. It's time to drop in a little commercial break in our show, but we're going to be right back after this message. And I, I want to get into some of those itties. I, I like your... Uh, your angle on that and and we'll we'll dive into those right after this message business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too and the first step is going to dougthorpe.com doug thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them you can find health wealth and happiness by learning to lead others to health wealth and happiness Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com.
All right, everyone, we're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and my guest today is Trent Clark. And we've basically been talking about leadership. We have leveraged and spent a lot of time talking about the sports world and examples of leadership there. But when we went on break, we were talking about the notion of accountability. And it is such a big word. But today, I I agree Trent alluded to the fact that it, it's got a negative connotation. People want to kind of, I don't know, makes their skin crawl sometimes, I think, when it comes up in a discussion. But what's been your experience, Trent, as you talk to owners and, and company leaders about the whole idea of how do you, how do you establish, implement, and execute on accountability? Yeah, we really, we have a system <laughs> like everybody else, right? And we have a system of accountability for leaders and we call it the pyramid of leadershipity. And it's, it's crucial. And I think Doug, when you touch on it, um, accountability is hard, right? Like it's, it's hard and it's hard now. And, you know, one of the things I always think about, uh, you know, well, hard now is, is acute pain. And I'm always reminded of the statement, um, you know, pain of pain of discipline or pain of regret. They're both they're both pretty good pains. Um, what I've found is the pain of discipline is very acute or short term, and I find that to be discipline is like that. Uh, the pain of regret is long term and chronic. And, uh, you know, I saw that in the sports world from the man I could have, I wish I should have, uh, you know, and this is the same group that's sitting on a bar stool every day at three o'clock drowning that pain because it's it's significant and i wish i would have done something different and um the accountability is pain though and it is a discipline that's required but it is saving so much pain down the road um that 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 big pain of regret like we could have been a really good company we could have kept our doors open if we would have should have and you know this this acute pain. I I think about the times training as an athlete. You know, hill running till we're literally vomiting, right? And I don't know. No one ever talked about like, oh, I would never play that sport again. It was so tough. We talk about the championships earned. We talk about how much better we got, how much more we improved, how we went to this. I I think it's very similar to like soldiers, the men and women who are in armed forces. Like we go in and we go to battle together. We don't want to do it again, but like we did serve together and we served each other. It was hard and 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 we did it. And if we have to do it again, we have that bond. And um, and part of that is that is that discipline. And so, you know, from my perspective, that's where I think the itties really come in. And and so we we have a pyramid around that that we have basically five tiers on that. Well, walk us through those five. But what's the thought process there? Yeah, so so the thought process is, you know, I, I like I love John Wooden, right? And I loved um his pyramid of success, which I thought was just brilliant. Uh and of course he shaped that for years. I kind of really designed it with the same kind of breadth in mind of what is the foundation? And the foundation for leaders is really both morality, big itty, and authority. And that word is another one that's thrown around like Oh, being an authority is something bad now. Like, there's a responsibility if you are the authority. Uh, we all certainly know that as parents, 
Uh, we're the authority. We're in charge of these children. And like, that's a big charge for any parents to be that authority. And and I think there's a challenge when we don't act like the authority and we act like the children, right? And everyone's going, wait a minute, I thought you were going to be the adult here. Like, so in, in a company, we really, you know, cornerstone of integrity and humility, probably the two biggies for that are pretty critical for leaders. If you have a leader of poor integrity, that's cancerous, right? And you have the uh, person who just doesn't understand humility. That also becomes a challenge of, I do everything around here and I'm responsible for all the good stuff. And and then of course, all the bad stuff, I'll be blaming everybody. <laughs> so you know that doesn't really work. And then the, the other three on that lower foundation are spirituality, which I think is pretty important to have a tie there and stability. So crucial as a leader to have a provide a stable environment and then quality, you know, just quality of person, the quality in your work, the quality in your standards. Uh, th those really f big five kind of set the, the foundation for me for morality and authority of a leader. So that's, that's really the foundational aspect of, of part one of that, of that framework. So much packed in there and, and there are those things and I, I'm going to take a little bit of a detour just for a quick minute. I want to go back to something we said in the first half of the show, just talking about leadership and the significance of leadership companies being thirsty for good leadership. Now I tell the story when I first started my coaching business about 12 years ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine who is a well, well experienced CEO. Uh, he's run turnarounds for venture capital and private equity people his whole life very good at it. I was telling him what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, you know, quote, leadership coach. And he said, oh, he said, I agree with you. It's sorely needed. And he said, but you're never going to be able to sell that. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say 5% of the CEOs understand leadership and nobody else. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's kind of harsh. You know, that's, and he goes, no, he said, I've, you know, I've, I've been around the block a few times and I've talked to a lot of people and I've, I've seen it play out. He said, we, we are sorely in need of good leadership and leadership training and development. But to your point, Trent, you said at the start, people don't go to school for it. They don't particularly train for it. You know, they, unless they've had just some really unique opportunities and experiences, it's just never on the radar. Mm. And, you know, without that motivation, getting into a lot of these other itties that ought to be in the, in the mix, I think, uh, you know, does become a really big challenge. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree 100%. I think one of the, one of the interesting facets about um, leadershipity in that business is that. 67% of our clients creeping up to the seventies now are, are women leaders that hire us. And why is that? You know, I got to ask myself, why is that? And, you know, I think it's the humility piece. I think it's the piece of like the interest of others getting better and the, Hey, uh, you know, I see a lot of leaders are, Hey, I know everything. Just ask me. <laughs> like, and I don't know if that's, you know, the approach to take from leadership and, um, and I think there's a, uh, the, the lifelong leader learners, leaders are learners. And if you're going to be a lifelong learner, I think that's really critical for leadership. And 
I think this is one of the things that's missing in some of that is that continuous improvement. I mean, the moment we get that level of like, oh, look, I've arrived now, like sit back and, you know, people just go speeding by you. Right. And yeah. uh, people are looking to get better. And if we don't uh, have that consistent drive, you know, like, like talked about Coach Saban, he has that. He doesn't settle. He's not like this is the only way to do it. He's looking to get better. And the best in the world are getting better all the time. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to the point about you don't go to school for leadership. Um, it, it runs consistent with an observation I've had for a long, long time. The, the modern business model is when we have a need for a frontline supervisor, we go look at the work team and we pick the best performer. We pick the best sales guy or the best technician or the best accountant or the highest volume processor and we say, poof, you're the new supervisor. And so they get busy trying to figure out what it means to be a manager. And they probably fail more than they win. But one way or another, they kind of figure something out. And a lot of it has to do with they work harder. They do more of what they used to do to help propel them. And they get recognized for that. And guess what? They get promoted again. So it becomes this self-actualizing dynamic that is not moving the needle to leadership. It's it's moving to this do more with less kind of mentality. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, finally somebody hits a level in their career journey and the company might say, hey, we're going to hire some coaches and we're going to give you some help or you can, we'll pay for you to go to school and do some of this training and those are the more enlightened companies by the way <laughs> yeah. yeah they're investing in their people for sure and i you know you lead me right right to the second level of the of the pyramid which is your team what do you have right and how do you decide how do you determine who comes along and uh performers are awesome that's that's one measure which is a good it's a good measurement i mean it's not a terrible measurement I wouldn't say it's the only measurement. Um, you know, when I look at like that second level, I'm looking for someone with flexibility, bigity, and and reliability is really important as we look to our future leaders and managers and people who are gonna go and I have an acronym of card. You know, if we're playing cards and I own I have all the aces, Doug, I like my chances. I'm probably gonna win, right? So an ace to me is a card that has coachability adaptability, handles responsibility, and then does that again and again and again, creating dependability. And so we look at some of our high-time performers sometimes, and they don't have all those characteristics. They do in certain categories, but not across the board. And they certainly right. don't show up that way for other people. And you use the example of the highest salesperson, right? Um, yeah, they can really sell, but they don't take a responsibility to the team meetings. They don't often take a responsibility for the team way. And I've always had success this way. And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And there's a little pushback on that and the the unwillingness uh, to, to adapt sometimes are big challenges because you're asking and training other people in your organization to look at this. And then they can't do it. And so, you know, I always, I use the baseball example of that adaptability. Like, A, is our organization giving us the tools? Um, 
you know, are we, are we working on bunting every day? Cause if we work on bunting in spring training and then we ask our big bomber number four hole hitter, who's got 45 home runs this year to bunt in the world series and they haven't done it for six months and they were never asked to do it as a kid. Like I'm setting my, my players up for failure, but if I'm yeah. giving them the opportunity to do that, they don't want to do that. They don't choose no. it. They don't practice it. And then when they're called on it, they're like, yeah, I don't know if I really want to play that game. And they get the call and just swing away anyway. I mean, that's that's not a team player you're looking for. And so why would I put that person in leadership? It, it, by the way, if they're successful where they're at. I, I can keep them in that role. And I don't need to bring them along to the, to the leadership and management position. And they can still produce in some way. Right. Um, but that's 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 probably key on that second tier as you start looking at people. Yeah. So repeat the acronym for card. What are you calling yeah, it? Card coachability, adaptability, responsibility. Do those things each and every time. We get dependability, yeah. right? And they prove that time and time again. Um, and so we we become wrecked. I and mean, we do this as leaders, right? We look and say, oh, man, Julianne, I, Julianne, can you manage this for me? Hey, Julianne, could you take care of this? Hey, Julianne, you think you could lead that? Why do I Why do I always chew Julianne on my team? Because she's a card. She's an ace. Like, I, I don't have the same trust on other team members that I know She's learning. She's learning. She's always looking to learn. She's always looking to improve. She's the coachable. She listens. She's adapting to the deal. She takes the responsibility. And I know she's dependable and is going to give us and our team what we need. So it's hard to call someone else on when you've got that in one of your team members and you want to give other people that opportunity. But, you know, when it becomes the important things, it's funny how Julianne seems to get the responsibility, yeah. right? And so yeah, that's a great that's a great learning. Even if, uh, if you're listening to this show here and, and you're not a company owner or not even a, you know, an, you know, official management position, but you're just trying to advance your career. That's not a bad profile to shoot for and, and become one of those cards to, you know, the better good of, of the company you're working for. I mean, that's a, that's a great dynamic. And, and I'm just, as you were describing all that, I was going through my mind. I, one of my last, I'll call it corporate gigs. It was actually, it was a consulting assignment, but I had to run an office where we had deployed about 700 consultants nationwide. And we had uh, recruited the army that, that we had. And as we, and we ran them through some training for the purpose of what we were going to do. And immediately we started seeing the division, you know, the, the, all the, uh, goo started flowing to its natural level, so to speak. Yeah. And, you know, we had that 10% of cards that showed up immediately. I mean, they were, they were digging in, getting it. They were, um, they were figuring things out, getting things done, showing up for meetings, ready to go on time, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, we had a large population of people that just figured out they looked for the bare minimum that they had to do to keep the job. And, and they just, you know, found ways to hide out in cubicles and things like that. And, you know, you got 700 people spread over five job sites. I mean, that was, it was a challenge to get the team pulled together and turn them into some contenders to stay with the sports world analogies. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'm 
not ashamed to say it was a it was a a limited engagement and we didn't get everybody on the same page before it was over you know we still had people that were lagging behind and missing things uh, before the whole engagement was over but we were working hard to change that and get everybody on the right page hard to do hard to do right and if i'm and if i'm your manager and i i've used this to to test that if if you're my guy and i'm and i am a contributor for your team inside the organization right um uh, i i have i have my groups rank yourself coachability trent what do you think you are oh you know hey doug i'm a nine and you're like hey i got you at six <laughs> let me give you some examples of over this last year working with you where you didn't take on the information. You didn't choose to embrace the data. You wanted to do it your way. And the, and the yeah, but answers. Yeah, but Doug, uh, I, my old company did it this way. Yeah, but uh, you know the planes are going to be late and I can't do it that way. Yeah, but my laptop doesn't do it. So you're the yeah, but guy. You're really not coachable, right? And so then how am I doing on adaptability? Oh, well, you know, I think I'm a 10. And you're like, yeah, I got you the three. Like, like why is the gap you've got? Very specific examples of responsibility, dependability, how that shows up, how that looks. And you probably got some examples of colleagues that you said, right? You just immediately knew 20 people that yeah. were those cards. And I say, hey, let, let's, let's take a look at Trish and how she's handing and managing herself to this organization, how she's taking – and. Do, are you are, are are you taking on things like Trisha? Well, you know, Trish is, you know, she's she's the hardest worker we got. Well, well, I mean, I'm not, you know, as good as Trish. And all right, well, you know, we got a standard and we're setting it. And so if you're putting yourself at the same numbers as Trish, let's talk about how that might look. And like, oh, all right, well, maybe I'm not. So you gotta start owning it. I, I love the grit formula, right? I, I love the grit formula that says, hey, here's here's my talent. And that times effort, right? Talent times effort. So I take like a Tom Brady and he's a six talent, a famous quarterback here. And and then, but he's a 10 effort. Okay, that equals 60. That's his skill level. He's a 60 skill level. Then I drop his skill level 60 times effort again. 60 times 10 is 600. So I've got a scale from one to 1,000. And he's a 600 coming out of college. But what happens is, is, man, the guy works his tail off and all of a sudden his talent becomes a seven because he's getting better. Then he's a 70, so that's a 700. Then he's an eight. Now he's an 800. Now I think he's settled in at a nine. He's There's a 900. He's a goat. Like he's one of the best in the world, LeBron James and Michael Jordan and all these guys. But I've also, people always ask me, about the best player I ever coached, Doug. Oh, what's the best player you ever coached? I'm like, oh, you don't know him. Like, oh, what do you mean? I don't know. I'm like, you've coached all these world champions. And yeah, like you don't know this person because they were a 10 talent with three effort. And so 10 times three is 30. 30 times three is 90. <laughs> yeah. But I got a scale of zero to 1,000 and I can't get you there on talent alone. You just, your, your level of achievement is literally less than 10% of an achievement level. And I, and I'm telling organizations, Take the formula. Do not hire anyone under a 200 for goodness sakes, because you'll pull your hair out. You will, you will cause major attrition in your organization. They'll be infighting, cancerous, all the bad words, right? And if you're looking at your leaders, please don't get under somebody under a 500, because if they're not a 500, why are they leading? Why are they in your executive teams? 
Why are they a part of this? And I love to go back there and you've known me for the year you've managed me. And I say, oh, hey, my talent. Oh, I'm an eight. And you're like, yeah, I got you to six. <laughs> why is that? You got examples. You know, why is the gap? My effort is the big one. Oh, nine, right, Doug? I mean, like, uh, Trent, come on. Like, if we actually do this extra, do you ever do? Well, I don't go to that. Well, I don't do that. I mean, I don't do my reports on time. I don't do, and I just keep going down the list. I got you at five for a reason. So all of a sudden, you think you're an eight, nine, and I've got you at six, five, right? 30, 30 times five to 150. I don't even know if I want to keep you. And I'm thinking, I'm up for promotion, right? Aren't you considering me for the next management position? You're like, no, not at all. And this is why. And so I just, you know, you have to be open and honest with people. But I think it's a disservice a lot of leadership does. And I don't know what you've seen, Doug, but I think a lot of leadership doesn't tell the people where they're at. I don't think they I tell agree. them what, what level of contributor they are and, 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 and clarify clarity. That's a huge itty, right? The clarity on what expectations do you have for me? What really serves? How do I be a great contributor here? And you know that's that's the next level for us of leaders, right? Clarity and simplicity. Those are two huge itties. And it's about authenticity, visibility, and vulnerability. And if I can't be authentic with these people and tell them, this is who I am, I'm showing up the same every day, and this is what I need from you. Visibility on me as a leader, visibility on you showing up. And then the vulnerability that, hey, we're gonna make mistakes and I'm okay with it. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to tell you about it. And when you make mistakes, we need to own up and take that responsibility and get better. But sweeping things under the rug and hiding information and all these things, that's not, it's not serving us in any way. And so those leaders that can really embrace those big 380s across there really get clarity for their teams and can simplify that. And we really need that today because it seems complicated and I don't think it is. Yeah. I go so far, and I've said it a number of times on this show, and I'm not ashamed to say it again. Uh, I've, If I've come to one conclusion about managing a workforce, if you've done a reasonably good job in your hiring, and I know that's a big if, but let's say that's what you've done, and, and you've got guys that are better than the 200, you know, that you've, you've been able to identify them in the hiring process and get them in there. Those guys want to show up and do some good work. They may not want to be rock stars, but they still want to do good work. But the way you get them to do that is you've got to give them that clarity. If you're the leader, they have to know what good is about. And if you don't give them that clarity, they're not necessarily going to do the wrong thing. They're going to do nothing because they're afraid of doing the wrong thing. So you're going to have this feeling like your your team is frozen in space, you know, treading water. They're doing nothing. And if, if, if you're out there listening and you're thinking that about your own team right now, look in the mirror. You probably have not given your team the clarity they need to know what the right thing is and what the next right thing ought to be about. Yeah, and I think it's so, you know, you talk about like video and sports. Like I like, I always liked review day. I like tape day. And I had to own a lot of like, oh, that wasn't very good, right? That's a that's a pretty bad swing there. That's a that's not a very good play we made there. And there's a lot of that, but there's also the modeling of seeing like what good looks like, what it's supposed to look like. And the video doesn't lie, right? So I like review the tapes. And I see very few leadership tapes, teams 
reviewing the tapes with their team. Like, hey, what did we do really well? Let's look at that. Like, we got to continue this because you can see this whole quarter. They couldn't stop us here. We're doing what we want to do and look at the ball movement or look at the puck passing and whatever it is for your sport. And then there's the, hey, this this was kind of a bad period here. <laughs> what happened? What just changed? What, what, what was the dynamics that changed? And I don't know how many times I've asked an organization, Doug, like, hey, how come you don't think they accepted your proposal or your RFP? What was their response when you did the follow-up? Oh, we didn't we didn't do a follow-up. They, you know, they said no, and thanks for you know applying. And I'm like, well, did you, did you call a committee and say, well, could we have done better? And like, hey, what would you have liked to have seen in this? Why did you hire these folks over us? What was the difference? What's the gap? I mean, let's let's review the tapes, and we're not doing it. Yeah, that's that's so critical. Well, Trent, I'll tell you what, we're about up on time here, man. This has been awesome and powerful, and I'm I'm noodling in the back of my mind. It's almost like we're, we're going to need a second episode here. We got a lot <laughs> we could cover, but I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Yeah, I'm at Trent at Leadershipity, and I am on all the social medias at Trent M. Clark or Leadershipity, and you can find me on those. Uh, pretty Pretty solid and regular on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, please le- reach out to me at my email. Happy to happy to hear from you and always love to talk some shop. All right. Well, I've certainly enjoyed it. And thank you so much for all you do and, and the contributions you've made. And I um, want to remind everybody, if you're listening to this show on your favorite streaming service, we are on YouTube with a video of this episode. It uh, is a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Just hop over there. Uh, give us a like, a thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take it. If, uh, you got a comment, <laughs> uh, uh, more importantly, if you've, uh, been following this show and you've got an idea, either yourself or someone, you know, could make a good guess, let me know, uh, grab me anywhere on my social media and leave me a line, a comment. Let me know that. Would love to talk to you and have you come on this show. But for now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.